0: Welcome to the Sozo Church podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. If you have your Bibles, won't you go with me over to the Book of Luke, chapter two? Uh, I'm going to read a lot of different scriptures to you today, um, but we're going to continue in uh, in our collection of talks on uh, good news, great joy. And this has been the text that we've uh, really used as a launching pad into each topic that we've discussed over the last few weeks. And I'm going to read it to you again. This is what this whole thing is built upon. I love it. This is the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. It says this, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. They're just at work in the field. It says, guarding their flocks of sheep, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, and so would I be. But the angel reassured them, "Hey, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. I love that good news that will bring great joy, not just to rich people, not just to poor people, not." not just to educate it or but to all people. He says, this is good news for all people. He says, it's gonna be good news it will bring great joy to all people. And this is what it is. For there is born to you this day. I love how personal that is. The angels say to the shepherds, today, it is born to you, to you. It's personal. Look at this. Born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord, who is Christ the Lord. I love this. As I begin to pray about it this week, I thought about how the backdrop of Luke chapter 2, this Christmas story, the backdrop of it is this, is that the good news is brought to someone and is entrusted to them to bring it to someone else. This is at the very backdrop of the Christmas story, and I believe it should be, and it's really supposed to be at the backdrop of the Christian story of us as followers of Jesus is that we understand that we've been given a sacred trust, which is the good news, to now bring that good news to people that need it, to all people, to the people that you work with, to the people that you live by, to the people that maybe you don't really like that much that can drive you crazy, uh, to, to your family members, and maybe that they fall into the last category as well. Um, but to all people, everybody, we have been as followers of Jesus, we've been given a trust, a sacred trust. Just as the angels gave this message, the good news to the shepherds, the shepherds would, would go and, and they would share that with people all over, and here's the interesting, interesting thing: the shepherds of that time were not trusted people. No one trusted shepherds. Shepherds were known as crooks and thieves, and they would manipulate. I mean, they they were really not trustworthy people. No one would really believe anything they would say. And yet, these these individuals that that probably are the most inadequate and probably the most uh, you know unqualified candidates to be bearers of good news. The Bible says that God entrusted them with this good news. And it's unbelievable as we think about that. And so as I begin to pray about it in this season, I just thought, you know what I want to talk about is I want to talk about the topic of evangelism, which is kind of a fancy theological word that simply means this. It's just, it's just when a Christian takes the good news of Jesus and just gives it to another person that needs that good news. That's what evangelism is. It's just, it's, I love this. It's just one beggar telling another beggar where they found the bread. That's what it is and that's what you and I are called to do. That is the backdrop and should be the backdrop of our life that we are good news bearers and that we, we go out into the world bringing good news. You know, if you go to Market Street, anytime you, you'll probably see someone standing on a soapbox, standing on a, a crate or something, yelling out what they think is good news but actually is bad news, telling people how bad they are. Now, I don't know how effective that's probably been throughout history. I know the only effect I've seen it have is it's put a bad taste in people's mouth. And that's not what God's intention for us is. God's intention for us is to go out and give people the good news that Jesus has come, that there is hope, that God loves them, that God is for them. And that is the gospel that we preach. Listen, Jesus is our message. It's not you are bad, 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 bad. It is that God is good, 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 good. And that message right there, yeah. That message right there, it brings joy. It brings joy. And that is what we've been entrusted with. And so that's what we're going to talk about for a few moments today. And so why don't we pray as we get ready to receive God's word. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for these moments that we share together as a church family. God, we thank you for this season um, that we're, we're really wrapping up 2018. And we're looking back at your faithfulness, your goodness. And we just pause for a moment and we just say, thank you, God. Thank you for saving us, for forgiving us, for delivering us. And right now in this moment as a church family, God, as those that maybe have been here for a while or maybe they're maybe new to 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 this church or new to, to the conversation around who Jesus is, God, today I pray that we would be at ease in your presence. We'd open up our hearts and our minds, and we'd allow you to speak to us. God, we thank you that there are no great preachers, only the great gospel of Jesus Christ that is good news that brings joy to all people. So we love you. We praise you. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, why don't you clap your hands for the word of God? Yep. Uh, we, we got quite a few emails in this week from from you guys saying uh, that you were requesting more Christmas songs for me to sing uh, based on last weekend's performance that I gave you um, but I, I just got to tell you I, I I feel the pressure you guys are putting so much pressure on me. I really want to sing to you today but i need to I need to I need to save my voice for next weekend okay so uh, so I'm not gonna do it but i will i will I will read to you the lyrics to a song that I really do like this is a good one um, go. Tell it on the mountain. Oh, somebody said, hmm, hmm. Need a little Hammond B3 organ behind me, <laughs> like I'm at church. <laughs> go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Everywhere? Everywhere. Listen, go tell it on the mountain what? That Jesus Christ is born. While shepherds kept their watching over silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. The shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel's chorus that held the Savior's birth. Down in a lowly manger, the humble Christ was born, and God sent us salvation. How many you thankful for salvation? And God sent us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Is born. I love that song. I was uh researching about that song because I've I've sang that many times, and maybe you grew up in a church environment where uh where you had the hymns. Remember the hymn books? Maybe some of you have even come here, you're like, where are their hymns at? Sorry, we don't have any hymns. We have a giant digital hymn on the on the on the wall, right? But maybe you grew up in, in a denomination where you had the hymns, and you know, almost every hymn, if you go and look, you'll see this song. In there, and as I begin to research this, it's pretty amazing. Um, when you look back at dates, late 1800s, uh, even the early ni- about 1906 07, uh, it was added into the African American spirituals, which were a collection of songs. Maybe you didn't know that. Um, th- this song was actually saying there, there's been some edits to it, but this song was actually slave. Uh, th- this song was actually sang by slaves, and they would sing this song. Um, and, and I, could, I just imagine that in my mind like our precious brothers and sisters that were being oppressed, that were that were marginalized, that were being literally tortured by by people, um, that they would sing this song a song of joy, a song of good news about Jesus and I thought about that this week about how it, 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 it this, this idea first came down from angels to people working in fields that there was good news that Jesus was born. And then even this song that was collected was collected by those that worked in a field. And I began to think about that and I felt a level of embarrassment of what people of my skin color have done to, to people historically. But it reminded me that, that no matter where you're at in your life, no matter what your skin color is, no matter what your socioeconomic status is, that good news is that we have Jesus, that we have Jesus. That is the good news that brings great joy to us. I I love the history of this song. I love how it was collected and it's been sung as a Christmas carol that we now have. But it's beautiful because it reminds us that our hope is in Jesus but it also reminds us of the mission and mandate that we have for those that say we belong to Jesus and that that the good news of Jesus has come to us and that our faith and our trust is in Jesus, it reminds us to go and to tell it on the mountain. It reminds us to go to our workplace and to tell and to share the good news that we've experienced. That the good news is not something that we keep private. See, your relationship with God is meant to be personal, but it's not meant to be private. It's meant to be, be shared with other people. It's meant to be given to other people. Like, I, I love restaurants. That's one of the reasons why I love San Francisco. When you go to restaurants in San Francisco, like, there's some that are, that are not good, but we have a lot of amazing restaurants here. And what do you do when you experience an unbelievable restaurant where you go to a table where you're fed one of the best meals of your life? You don't just keep it to yourself. You go and you tell everybody about it. I think it's a sad thing whenever Christians come to the table, they experience the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God, and yet we, we don't tell anybody about it. See, this good news that we have, it's been entrusted to us that we go and we share it with everyone. Well, what is that good news? Let me first break it down just to bring clarity in case you don't know the good news that I'm talking about. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he defined the good news like this. He says this to the Corinthians. He says, dear friends, let me give you clearly the heart of the gospel that I've preached. By the way, good news and gospel are synonymous, right? He says, let me give you the heart of the good news, the heart of the gospel that I've preached to you, the good news that you have heart. Received and on which you, you now stand. That is, that you're, you're firm, you're standing in this good news. For it is through the revelation of the gospel, like an understanding of the gospel, that you are being saved. It is the gospel that saves us. Listen to me, it's not our works. It's not, we can't merit it. We can't save ourselves by being a good moral person. We we can't save ourselves by church attendance, although you should go to church. You can't save yourself by tithing or by giving. You can't save yourself by helping some little old lady across the street a lot. There's nothing that can save us other than a revelation of Jesus, who Jesus is. And he goes on and he says this. He says, if you fasten your life firmly to the message I've taught you, unless you have believed in vain, For I have shared with you, watch this, what I have received and what is of utmost importance. So he says, this is the most important thing you can know about the gospel. The Messiah died for our sins, speaking of Jesus, fulfilling the prophecies of the scriptures. He was buried in a tomb and was raised from the dead after three days as foretold in scriptures. Here's what Paul is saying here. You want to know what the gospel is? It's the story of Jesus. It's not the story of of us being spiritual. It's the story of Jesus, who Jesus was. He was the long-awaited promised Messiah for Israel. He's Israel's Messiah that came as their deliverer, as their savior, as the one that would come and would would deliver them from oppression. And, and, And it's the Messiah that comes to do that. And the way he came to rescue and redeem them wasn't to come and just to be strong, but actually to come humbly in a manger and to live 33 years in our place, living a righteous perfect life for us. He lived righteously in our place because we never could. And then he dies on a cross for our sins. He's buried and he's resurrected. You see, the gospel is not just that Jesus lived. It's not just that he died, but it's that he rose again. See, that is the power of the gospel. It's not just that Jesus was a good guy. It's not that he was just a good teacher or a good prophet. There's been many people that have come before him that were good prophets or good teachers. Listen, but Jesus was the son of God. That he was born unto us as our Messiah to save us and to rescue us. This is what Paul says the gospel is. Now, here's the thing about this, is that is a strange message, isn't it? That is a message that is probably not that popular uh, in modern culture, especially here in the West. We like to have manageables, moral manageables, like we can just be good and all good people go to heaven, right? Or all good people, you know, have a relationship with God. Those are moral manageables, but that's not it. The gospel is that we cannot save ourselves. We need a savior, that we cannot fix ourselves. We need someone to fix us, and his name is Jesus. This is the gospel. And so, what do we do as followers with what we've been entrusted and what's changed our lives, what's transformed our lives? Well, Jesus said it like this to his followers. So wherever you go, wherever you go in the world, tell everyone the good news. This is what we do. This is who we are. I would submit to you that a follower of Jesus that doesn't actually follow Jesus is not a follower of Jesus. And a follower of Jesus who does not bring other people on the journey and expose them to the good news. Like, could it be that things are in question for us? Now, this is strong, I know. I think most of us Christians, we are aware that we've been given this trust and that we should share with other people the good news. Most of you in here, you've heard of the Great Commission before. Interesting that it's not called the Great Suggestion, just saying. The Great Commission is to go, to go and to tell everyone, to go and to share the good news of Jesus. So so we know these things, most of us have sat through sermons where by the end of it, we just feel so guilty like, man, I'm not telling anybody about Jesus. And I guess I'm just, you know, I'm a bad, 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 bad Christian. I'm, a, I'm, I'm not really being used by God. Like, listen, we've all sat through those. You've even probably been a part of a church maybe before where they've taught you different strategies and skills on how to go into convert people or to win people. Like, I remember learning the Roman road. It's like, Romans 3 says this, Romans 6 says this, Romans 9 says this. It's like, boom, 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 boom. You can come across when you're talking to someone that doesn't know Jesus as if you've got, you know, guns and you're just waiting for him like pow, pow, pow. It's like, you know, there's, there's all these different like strategies and methodologies and all these things and some are effective and some actually work against the gospel. So, so I don't know what your experience is, but, but can't we agree? If you're not a Christian here today, listen, this, this sermon, you can just kind of listen to us as Christians talk, and you can be like, now I understand why they're so weird, okay? Um, but for the rest of us that say we're followers of Jesus, like, couldn't we just at least agree that when we read scriptures, we see that there is a, a mandate and there is a responsibility? Now, now, my goal, disclaimer today, as I finish uh, with these few things, is not to make you feel guilty. I, I don't want any person here to feel guilty if you have not been sharing good news with people. But I do hope that you don't feel guilty, but you do feel responsible and that, that you leave here stirred up with courage in your spirit that God can use you. The, the good news and the gospel responsibility and mandate is not just for pastors it's for people, people who have experienced the good news of Jesus. And so I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't want you to feel guilty uh, I also would tell you that I know that in 25, 30 minutes, I can't, I'm not going to be able to like give you every single tool that you need to be able to go and to make a difference in sharing the gospel with people. But I want I just want to stir you up for a moment. Okay. Uh, let me give you three things that I believe are, are barriers and hurdles when it comes to us as followers of Jesus. These are obstacles or barriers that make it very hard for us to be gospel good news bearers in the world we live in. I get it that it's probably pretty easy for me to stand up here with people that are willing audience to come. You're a captive audience. You're here and you're like, okay. Tell me something, right? This, that's, I have an easy job, okay? Like you laugh at, you know, the dumb things I say sometimes. And you amen me whenever I say good things. And you laugh at my corny jokes and all that stuff. But I understand that my job is easy. Your job is hard. I'll first tell you that. You have to go and be a gospel good news bearer in workplaces and environments I've never been in before. And so I'm quick to admit that. But let me give you the three things that I've experienced in 20 years of following Jesus that keep us from sharing the good news. The first one is this is intimidation, it's intimidation. Let's be honest, San Francisco has a certain level of hostility towards Christianity, doesn't it? There's a certain level of resistance towards the good news of Jesus, even though it is good news. There's a certain level of of resistance and opposition towards religious things. You know, um, Barna Barna is a a group that does surveys about spirituality in the world, and one of the spiritual surveys that was taken was in San Francisco, and it said this, less than 2% of our population go to church. Less than 2%. That makes us, according to other cities and other nations around the world, world that makes us an unreached people group. Do you realize that? That we live in a city that essentially has been labeled an unreached people group with the gospel of Jesus. That's actually one of the reasons why we started this church here. I could have gone to Dallas and planted a church, but I don't like the Dallas Cowboys, number one. <clears throat> number two, I don't know how, like, I don't, know, I don't know how anointed you have to be to get people to go to church there. They just go to church there. It's just like a natural thing you do. You get a coffee, you go to church. But here, I wanted to come to a place where people, people need Jesus. Not that they don't need Jesus in Dallas or in Baton Rouge or any other southern city or any other place on the northeast. But I knew this less than 2% of people are going to church and believing in Jesus here. Open to spiritual things, but not really open to God. I, I, I thought, this is a good place to come. And, to, and try to reach people with the good news of Jesus. That's one of the reasons why we're here, right? But here's another statistic for you. I don't, actually don't have the, I'm not gonna quote the, 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 the actual percentage, but I'm, I'll tell you this, that we live in a city that's not, I think people outside of our city know this to be just unchurched, but really when you begin to look at, dig into the studies, San Francisco and the Bay Area is a dechurched area. Here's what that means. People once went to church, but they've left the church, they've disengaged because either they've disagreed or they've been disappointed. And that's the context that you and I live in. We live in a context. The reason you feel the resistance and the hostility and maybe some of the fear sometimes to talk about Jesus with people, there's a spiritual dynamic in our city. And it's, it's, it's this, is that people, people are resistant because they've been wounded and hurt by pastors, by church, spiritual leaders, and by Christians, judgmental Christians. And that is the context that we live in. And I understand for some of you you 're just bold as a line you go to church, you go to work and you just like you wear like a jesus t shirt and you got the i 'm too blessed to be depressed coffee mug you know you got a bumper sticker that says i 'm too anointed to be disappointed i mean there's some of you that are probably like that, but i 'm not, and most of us aren 't why because a lot of us we feel intimidation we feel the resistance we feel Let's just be, let's call it what it is. We feel a little bit of fear to tell people who we are and what we believe because we don't want to be labeled, right? We don't want to be judged. We don't want to be known. I wrote this down. Many of us, were intimidated by thoughts like this. What will others think about me? Uh, what if I get labeled the weird Christian at my workplace? What if they stop inviting my kids to the birthday parties? What if talking about Christ makes, uh, makes seeing my neighbors awkward? That's happened to me. Uh, what if they lump me together with all the other whack Christians that, that that have given Christianity a bad name? What if it causes me to lose my lose business? What if it costs me the job opportunity? What if I get passed up for the promotion? Like, have you ever thought of any of these thoughts? Here's what I would submit to you: I think in, in a lot of parts of the world, people are legitimately persecuted, and 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 they feel intimidated by people. Like it's it's actual persecution. But I think some of, some of the, some of the intimidation that you and I feel in our city and the persecution that we feel, we're persecuted by our own thoughts. We're intimidated by, by these assumptions about what's going to happen. And we allow that, we, we really allow that to paralyze us and to cripple us and keep us from sharing the gospel. Um, Let let me, let me just read the scripture to you. I love this. Romans one. Paul said this. He says, for I have a great sense of obligation to people. I I could stop there and just, I wish I could go around and just have a conversation individually with each one of you. And we could share our perspective and our story. Like, do you feel that? Do you feel an obligation to the people that you work with? A spiritual obligation. Do you feel that? Do you sense that? Do you sense that with your family members or your friends or your neighbors that don't know Jesus? Because Paul says, man, I have a great sense of obligation to people in both, look, the civilized world and the rest of the world to the educated and the uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome. There's an eagerness an urgency to preach the good news to you. Look at this. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. For I am not ashamed, Paul says, of this good news of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God at work, God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Paul says, I have an obligation to people to share with them the good news. And he says this statement. This is a guy that he's not just persecuted by his own thoughts or intimidated by the thoughts of what, if, what will people think. This guy actually has been beaten. He's been flogged. He has been stoned. He has been shipwrecked, stoned like with rocks, okay? Um, sometimes you gotta clarify that in California. <clears throat> he has been imprisoned he was beaten within an inch of his life one time to where he was, literally, he was, he was in a comatose state. This guy has been deeply persecuted, why? For the good news, and he says, I am not ashamed of the good news of Jesus. He says, I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed. When I read those words, I thought, God, I literally, I prayed this week, and I thought, God, I'm, I'm a pastor, so I know that there's Christians at our church that feel this. If at times, I have felt a level of like, what are they going to think about me? What if my neighbor, Steve, that lives right around the corner, what if I start talking about Jesus and he's like, I don't want my kids playing with his kids anymore. Like I felt that before. So I know maybe you have felt that before, but my prayer is, God, I pray for our church and for me that we could say like Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God at work. Listen, it is the power of God at work in people's lives. Did you know that the good news that you have literally, it's like a catalyst. God's already working in someone's life and we come to them and we plant the seed of the gospel or literally like a key. We unlock what God's already doing and it becomes a conversation where someone could come to faith in Jesus and we possess that sacred trust. I am not ashamed, Paul says, because this is the gospel. So what do we do? How do we overcome intimidation? Here's something practical for you. Pray for boldness. This is the most practical thing I can tell you. Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to give you boldness, not to make you brash. We as followers of Jesus, we are to be bold, but not brash. We are to be powerful, but not prideful. We are to carry this trust that we have with a sense of awe and humility that we were just a beggar that found the bread. And we go and we tell someone else about the bread that we have found, the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ. As we pray for boldness, the the book of Acts is marked by a group of Christians. The early church, when it first started, they were marked by boldness, uncommon boldness. These are people, they're being so persecuted. They're being so so mocked and so tortured, and yet there was this sense of boldness about them. Why? Where did it come from? You know where it came from? Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in the the departure discourse, he says, I'm going away, guys. Don't be upset. It's actually going to be better for you. To which I would be like, why, how's it going to be better? Jesus, like just hanging with you has been amazing. Like you, you multiply fish and bread and, and I love carbs. Like, like Jesus, this is amazing. How's it going to be better than that? And he's like, I have been with you, but I'm sending someone even better that's not only going to be with you, but going to be in you, the Holy Spirit. And he said, and when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit's going to give you power and boldness and courage to do what? To be my witness, to tell people the good news. I love it in Acts chapter four, after the Holy Spirit has come, it says that Peter and a couple guys that they actually were going around sharing good news with people in a a context that was very hostile. And they were actually thrown in prison for their faith. You know, that's not happening here in San Francisco to us, but you know it's happening in a lot of places around the world. There are people still even today that are thrown in prison. There are pastors and church leaders that that are martyred, that are killed for their faith. But here in this context, Peter is thrown in prison, they get out of prison. You know, they, they, they get out and they're released. They go and they meet with a group of Christians and they report to them what happened. And they said, guys, let's begin to pray. Let's begin to pray. And they start praying in Acts chapter four. And the Bible says the presence of God came as they begin to just pray and, and ask God for courage and strength. And it says that the place began to shake. Like the power of God and the presence of God was so strong, it began to shake. I don't want an earthquake here, Lord, please, in Jesus' name. We don't want that to happen. Just send us the power without the shake, okay? But it says this in verse, look at this, I think it's verse 31. It says, Acts chapter 4, verse 31, after this prayer, they're just praying, the meeting place shook. Maybe this place shouldn't shake, but maybe God, if you would shake us. Maybe if you would shake us at our core, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness, with boldness. Church, listen, I felt a burden for this this week. My prayer for you my prayer for myself is that we'd be bold. We'd have bold love. We'd have, we'd have bold, courageous love as we share the only news that will truly bring someone joy, which is the news of Jesus, that we would have boldness. Second one is this is inadequacy. That's the second, second thing. Intimidation is the first barrier. The second one is inadequacy. Some of you are like, I I just feel inadequate. Like, what if someone at my work, when they hear that I'm a Christian, they start asking me about, like, the millennial reign or, like, some, like, super theological thing? Listen, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't. You, you don't have to ha- be able to answer every single thing that someone has. I have people ask me questions even now. Some of you ask me questions. Some of you, have, like, you, you're, you're, you're going to be like, yep, I remember asking Jason one of those questions one time. Some of you ask me questions after church and some of them are very good questions, like rich questions. And I just look at you. What do I say to you? If you've ever had that conversation with me, I'm like, man, that's a great question. I don't have the answer to that. But if you come back next week, just an easy way to get you to come back to church. If you come back next week, I promise you this. I'll have the best response that I could possibly come up with. Let me do some research. What am I what am I doing? I'm I'm not I'm not like waffling. I'm not like fluffing it up and making up some random theological answer. I'm being honest with you. I don't have all the answers. I'm not an expert. I don't have all the answers, but I can do my best to find some. I have found this. Whenever I've responded to people like that, not as an expert, but as a student, willing to come alongside them in their journey, 10 times out of 10, they can respect the fact that I'm willing to, humble enough to admit, I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer. Some of you, you've been crippled because of this thought of like, I feel so inadequate. Like. I don't have all the answers. I, I, I don't know all the complexities of theology. I haven't gone to Bible college. I haven't been to a seminary. I haven't done these things. Like, And if that's ever been you, listen, congratulations. You fall into a category of everybody else in the scriptures. God used people that were uneducated, that were poor, that were broken, that had fallen into deep sin. I mean, think about just Jesus's family tree for a moment. He had a prostitute in his lineage, right? Remember, remember Rahab? That was someone in his family tree. Look at the genealogy in Luke chapter one. He had people that murdered people. He had people that were manipulators. He had polygamists. I mean, listen, I think you're going to be all right, okay? Like, if you feel... If you feel like you're inadequate or the cards are stacked against you, listen, it doesn't matter what you've ever done. It doesn't matter what's ever been done to you. It doesn't matter how educated or uneducated you are. Listen, it's the simplicity of the gospel. And here's why. Because Paul said this, if it was lofty words, if it was persuasive speech, if it was my pedigree, then you would put your faith in me. But it's not. It's the simplicity of the gospel. It's the power of the gospel so that your faith would be in Jesus. All right, get me fired up. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, my brothers and sisters, when I first came to you to proclaim to you the secrets of God, I refused to come as an expert. I refused to. Trying to impress you with my eloquent speech and lofty wisdom. For while I was with you, I was determined to be consumed with one topic. Jesus. Oh, I love that. The crucified Messiah. I stood before you feeling inadequate, he said. This shows you that you can feel inadequate, but you, and you can, you can stand there in that moment, feel inadequate, but that doesn't have to determine if you're going to be obedient to the responsibility of sharing Christ with people. He says, I felt it. Like, Paul felt it. Do you know if, if the Apostle Paul felt inadequate in sharing the good news, do you, don't you think it's probably normal that you do as well and that I do as well? Inadequate at your workplace. When you're sitting there and having a conversation, it's okay to feel inadequate. You just can't let it control you. He said, I felt inadequate. I was filled with reverence or awe for God. And I was trembling under the sense of the importance of my words. You know, he's saying, I understood that, that the trust I had been given was way more important than my comfort. I had to share it, even though I felt inadequate, but I shared the simplicity of Jesus. And he goes on, he says, the message I preached and how I preached, it was not an attempt to sway you with persuasive arguments but to prove to you the almighty power of God's Holy Spirit for God intended that your faith not be established on man's wisdom, but by trusting in his almighty power. Listen, if you feel inadequate, welcome to the globe. It's the power of God and the simplicity of who Jesus is. He is the son of God that has come to this world to save mankind, to reconcile us, to give us peace to accept us and to love us and then to commission us in the restoration of this world, ushering in the kingdom of God, making all things new. It's so simple and yet so profound. So how do we overcome inadequacy? Here's all I can tell you. You gotta just rely on the power of the gospel and the power of the spirit. If you, if, if, listen, if your explanation of things, your expert explanation of things theologically could persuade man, then someone else's explanation of theology could move them away from, from God. The gospel works. Listen, write this down. The gospel works best when the gospel does the work. The gospel works best when the gospel does the work. This is the truth. Take the pressure off yourself. I wrote this down. Take the pressure off yourself to close the deal with people. Like how many times as Christians do we feel like we've got to close the deal? Like I've got to lead them in the sinner's prayer. I've got to to get them to do this. Like, hey, listen, just let the gospel do its its work. You do your job, which is just proclaiming. Karugma is the Greek word. It's a proclamation. You do your job. Just share it. Share the good news. When I tell somebody about, I love this restaurant called Mr. Jews. It's a great little, little Chinese restaurant. When I tell somebody about that restaurant, I've done my job. It's now Mr. Jews' ratings on Yelp <laughs> and then their job to go to the restaurant. I, all I have to do, I'm just carrying the good news. I love Beretta. I love the Arancini at Beretta. I just tell people the good news. Beretta's got great Arancini. Listen, the rest is on Beretta and on them. It's between them and Beretta. <laughs> You share the good news about Jesus with somebody, the rest is between Jesus and them. You do your part, let God do his part. The gospel works best when the gospel does the work. Listen, let me, uh, let me hurry with, with this. I want to share one last scripture under that heading there. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And this is the little caveat to what I just told you. Peter is speaking or he's writing to all Christians. So that applies to us, all Christians. And he says this to him. He says, hey, don't be intimidated by the threats of people. There's intimidation again, remember? He says, don't be intimidated. Instead, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, instead of being intimidated by people, as you do ministry, as you go out telling people about Jesus, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Now, here's why I'm saying this. It's like, Jason, this contradicts everything you just said. It doesn't. The challenge is this, is I think we try to, we think we have to have all the answers and really you just have to have one answer. Is who is Jesus and what has he done in your life and what can he do in their life? Who is Jesus to you? What has he done in your life and what could he do in their life? That is, that is understanding who Jesus is. He's the son of God. He came as the savior of the world. He died on a cross. He was buried and he rose again to bring us now to newness of life. Now listen, I'm telling you this because I think that's a pretty simple thing. I think the gospel is so simple that a child can understand it and a child can, can proclaim it. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that in numerous verses. It is so simple, it's the simplicity of the gospel. Now here's my challenge to you. Some of you, you do feel inadequate. I want you to feel equipped. There's two different ways you can be equipped, right? You can be equipped here at church. You can come here and don't just listen to what I'm saying. Let it stir you up, but then go and study God's word for yourself. And go, you, If you want to understand the gospel and understand who Jesus is, just go read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over and over and over again. Read it, read it, pray it. Holy Spirit, reveal who Jesus is to me. But listen, if, you're, if you can't even do that, just do what you do with everything else that you're, you feel inadequate to do. You ever felt inadequate to put together something from Ikea? Yep. You have. What do you do? You either read the instructions or you call someone that knows how to do it. Or you Google it. Or you YouTube it. Why is it that we will Google and YouTube everything else we feel inadequate about, but we want about spiritual things? Now, you may come across some bad uh, solutions and answers in theology, so you got to be careful there. But what I want to challenge you with is this, become a student. Become a student of what the hope you have. Like, God forbid that if you go to church, you go to church, you go to church, and you, you say you're a Christian, and I say I'm a Christian, but we never become a student of why do we have this hope? Who is Jesus? Let's be students of Jesus and the hope that we have. So, watch, you can always be ready to explain the reason for the hope that you have. At your workplace, always be ready to be able to explain. But explain it, not as an expert, as a student. Have a sense of humility. You know what I say to people? I'll give you something. This is just really practical. I've probably said it to some of you before. When someone asks you a question about who Jesus is or about the hope that you have, respond to them and, and tell them what you believe. And then say, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Pause for a moment. Let them feel the weight of that. Because most most de-churched and unchurched people in our city, they get Christians that say stuff like this. They they, they hear this. This is what I believe, and you're going to go to hell if you don't believe it. And uh, I'm right and you're wrong. Right? And it pushes people even farther from the gospel. But if we'd have enough humility to say, you know what, this is what I believe, based on my understanding of Scripture and based on... My experiences in life. This is what I believe. I could be wrong. And then I always like to wink and say, but I don't think I am. <laughs> or I wouldn't have that belief. But then I, and I'll say this, but you don't think you're wrong, and that's, that's why you have that belief. But couldn't we just have a humble agreement that we're just doing our best to try to figure out life? There's a humility about it. That's why I think he says this, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. This is the part that many Christians have missed. Is that we don't have thoughtful conversations about who Jesus is respectfully and with gentleness. Listen, the mission is not for you to be right, it's for them to be restored. Here's the third thing, and I'll conclude indifference. This one's the harshest one. I've been kind of nice up until this point, okay? And I started not to share this one because I'm a good news guy. And this sounds a little bit like harsh news or bad news, but. I felt like I needed to share this because I think this, this truly is my experience, maybe not yours, but as I surveyed my own life, the reason why sometimes I maybe find myself not sharing the good news with people is simply a matter of indifference. It's a lack of genuine concern. That is that as humans, I think that we, we naturally gravitate towards a concern for ourselves a concern for our well-being a concern for our possessions our concern for people's opinions about us we we can just get wrapped up in ourselves can't we let's just be honest and and when we get wrapped up in ourselves it causes us to be calloused to the people around us and we begin to find ourselves in this posture of indifference with a lack of concern for people and i read this i read this verse and it just it, it bothered me and it's it's, it's, it's just, I'm gonna read it and I hope it bothers you the way it bothered me. Paul says this, he says, he says, he, God, will bring perfect and full justice to those who don't know God. And on those who refuse to embrace the gospel of our Lord Jesus, he says, they will suffer the penalty of eternal destruction, regardless of your theology of is there a hell or is there not. This sounds like hell to me. They'll be banished from the Lord's presence. I don't know if it's fire or worms or whatever you may think. It's being separate from the Lord forever. That's hell. And the weight of that hit me when I read that this week. Paul says, it's the good news that saves people and puts them in right standing with God so that they don't have to live this life and eternity separate from him. That's heavy. But if we truly believe the scriptures, And we truly believe that Jesus came not just to teach us how to be good people, but to be our savior, to save us from our sin and our brokenness and our emptiness and the enmity that we have between us and God. If we truly believe that, then don't we believe that if people don't hear that, that they'll spend eternity separate from God? Like like if we believe that, then our heart should be softened to that. My heart should be softened to that. So how does that play out? So when I'm I'm in those moments and I'm around those people in my neighborhood that don't know Jesus. And I know they don't know Jesus based on some of the conversations I've had, based on the fruit of their life. Instead of judging them, what if I really begin to get a burden for them and thought, man, Paul doesn't, I don't think he knows Jesus. And I know Jesus. Maybe I should share that with him because I don't want him to go through this life empty and broken and then spend eternity separated from the only one that will ever truly satisfy him. What if God wants to use me to love my neighbor? as myself, and to give them the good news. I thought about that this week, and I've been praying, God, I pray you'd give me a burden for the people in my neighborhood, the people in my community, because that's truly what it'll take. It'll take a burden. You can't just flip that switch on. Like some of you today, I hope that you leave thinking about this, but you'll probably go grab brunch afterwards. That's what I'm probably going to do. And it's easy to go to brunch and forget the burden. It's easy to go into our normal everyday life and to forget the mission and the mandate to give good news to people. But I want what Paul says he had in Romans 9. Look at this. He says, I am telling you the truth. He's saying, listen, guys, I'm being as honest as I can be. I'm telling you the truth. I belong to Jesus. The Holy Spirit tells my heart that I am not lying. He says, I promise you, I'm with the clearest conscience. I'm being as real as I can be. He said, I have so much sorrow it says, the pain in my heart and never leaves me. I could even wish that I might be kept from being with Christ if that would help my people to be saved from the punishment of sin. They are of my own flesh and blood. You know what he's saying? He says, when I think about, he's speaking specifically to the people of Israel. He says, when I think about my family, my friends, the people I see every day that don't know what I know, that they don't have a relationship with Jesus, he's like, I have deep sorrow and unceasing anguish in my soul when I think about that to the point that I, I would rather trade in my salvation if they could have it. <sighs> have you ever felt that before? I haven't. I'm gonna be honest, I never have. I've never thought about a family member or a friend that I do love and thought they don't know Jesus. I, I would, if I could, I would trade in my knowledge for Jesus if they could get it. That's a genuine concern for people right there. And I begin to pray, God, will you help us with that? Let me read this last thing to you. As a church, we're small because we're young. And for some of you, you may think, Jason, are you just telling us to do this because you want to build a big church? Um, No, but I want to build a big family. And I want to make sure that everybody gets the same opportunity that I've had to meet Jesus And my prayer is that us as a church, we would leave this place every week as sent ones in our world, carrying the good news. See, mega churches are known for their seating capacity, but missional churches are known for their sending capacity. And may we be a missional church that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we make a mega difference as we bring the good news of Jesus to people. Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me. I'm gonna pray for us today. Then I'm going to give you some instructions as we conclude. I'm going to open up the altars as we conclude our service, as we play a last song. And if you need prayer for anything at all, you can come down. Related to the message or not related to the message, we'd love to pray with you. But before we do that, I'm I'm going to tell you two things. One is a prayer and one is an instruction as you just think about this for a moment. We have these little invitation cards that is just a practical way to help you in sharing the good news with people. Like maybe it's a big step for you to just open up talking about Jesus. An easy, practical, simple step is just to invite someone to come here to experience Jesus. And we have some really cool little Christmas invite cards that you can grab on your way out. We have little bundles of them. And you can just give it to someone. This, This holiday season, people always ask this question like, hey, what are you doing for Christmas? And we always have a response. So all you need to do is just add in there One of the things is I'm going to this church, this new church I started going to. And then you can give them one of these cards. And so we've got that for you. But I want to pray this over us today. And I want you just to listen to these words. May the Lord free us from intimidation, inadequacy, and indifference that so easily keeps us from sharing Christ with our neighbors. May we be given an unending pain in our heart for those that do not know the love and acceptance of God. May we not be burdened by guilt, but burdened by the love of Christ to share Christ with others. Lord, give us today the boldness of the Spirit as we are sent from this place to make a difference. And may we rely on the power of the gospel as we stand in awe of what you will accomplish through our lives. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.